Dance Driving Double Feature presents Howling 2 and 7-2, a minute-by-minute podcast covering Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, and Howling, New Moon Rising. Welcome to episode 8, covering minutes 8 of the aforementioned films. So, how are y'all, everyone? I've got some windows open around here because it's kind of chilly out, so if you hear birds uh, tweeting, or uh, there's a persistent hummingbird by the window here who's flying around. He kind of, his wings are flapping, his wings are flapping, and then he just paused in midair for a split second, looked at me. It looks almost like a special effect, sort of, you know, one of those uh, Matrix style when everything freezes and the camera kind of moves over everything. You know? And he kind of froze and he spun and he looked at me and he said, do you think I'm flapping my wings too much? Is this ostentatious? And I told him, you flap your wings as much as you need to, to keep yourself flying. And he said, you know what? You give sage advice, sir. What are you doing? I told him I was doing this. He paused again spun around, let out the most charming hummingbird fart, and flew off into the night. Although it is only uh, 10.43 in the morning. Crazier as has happened. So, uh, this is, so, so, so if you hear noises from outside, that's just the world around us. And uh, let us dive into minute eight of Howling 2, your sister's where We are still at the funeral, after the, the aftermath of the funeral. And uh, Jenny has talked to Crisco, Christopher Lee's character, Crosco, uh, who has who has said that um, Reb Brown's sister, not his real sister, but his sister in the movie is a werewolf, and we saw her her eyes open when they put her into like the mausoleum into the tomb, and he and so the previous uh, minute ended with with Reb Brown in the background coming up towards Jenny. They're both behind a gate, uh, which kind of frames around them, and it's it's kind of a nice. Uh, nice image because you don't quite see Red Brown properly for a second and then you do see him and you're like, Red! So, so he, yeah, he basically asked, what did, uh, what did he have to say? Listen to this. He said your sister is a werewolf. Oh, bullshit. Of course, obviously, um, you you won't be seeing what's going on as you're listening to this, but you will hear stuff, so there will be naughty words said. Um, so I guess if we we might hit R-rated on some of these episodes, and you know I apologize if anyone's offended. They shouldn't be though. If you're listening to a Howling podcast, they, they're all rated R, as far as I know. Howling Reborn was, wasn't it? I believe so. So anyway, what happens at this minute? Yeah, it starts off with what you heard with, um, you know, your sister's a werewolf, BS. And then you actually see the sister in the coffin screaming for a little bit. And then we go to the club, uh, which is called the club or the bat cave is written on the wall. And uh, it's one of those it's one of those clubs where they um, this is the band that plays the theme who are always sort of whenever you hear the theme, it's kind of a new wave gothy kind of thing. But this seems to be very punk um, esque club they're in with a lot of um 
skinheady type guys up at the front of the stage flipping the the band off which i always i don't I, i've never been to a punk club but it seems um i don't know it seems counterproductive to be you know moshing along to the band who's rocking and then to be flipping them off at the same time or maybe it's not maybe i don't fully understand uh the way things work you know in my you know my um concert going experiences of the steve miller band and the moody blues i've seen more than that but that was a long time ago the grateful dead um they're certainly they were just all hippies waving in the breeze when when i saw them none of the punk uh, yeah i've never really i mean i've been to a few rockin' shows where um the crowd got rambunctious um Back in 97, I saw Guided by Voices, who were probably my favorite band twice on their Mag Earwig tour. And that was, that that um, album has a song on it written by Doug Gillard called I Am a Tree. And the middle of that has like, kind of, kind of, I'm not getting it right, but kind of like a bit where the moment the song started, like everyone like near the stage would start moshing around and smashing into one another. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, and as that's really the only spot in the GPV catalog that one might do that, you know, like, but come on, we got to, let's hope they play I'm a Tree so I can mosh for 47 seconds. Um, but but this this looks like, yeah, this is like a punk band listening to some new wave. What's that bass sound? You hear that strange bass sound at one point that sounds like it's like a little too loud or almost like almost going into feedback or, or what is it? Like, bow, 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 kind of noise. Um, and the... Um, I mean, the guys with their sunglasses and the, the lead singer, this is not a punk band, obviously. And the, the subtitles um, uh, have his, his um, has the opening words of being, ow, 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 <laughs> which hit the ouchie song by the rockin' band from The Howling 2. Ow, 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 ow. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so we're in some big, um, we're in some big club. I like to think because we see at the end of the club we see the woman who was made the growling noise in the graveyard at Christopher Lee's character we see her at the end of it and I like to think this is like a lycanthrope club a club mostly for for lycanthropic people and um the, oh the drummer has electronic drums am I seeing those right yes he does he sure does he's got a set of electronic drums circa 1985 oh my gosh those are the early drums that was um Two places I know of when I think of those electronic, you know, you know what I mean, those electronic um, drums that um, doo -doo, um, the uh, uh, the Genesis album, the self-titled album from '83 has the drums like that. I think it's um, that's all, um, which was a huge hit for them. That uses the electronic drums, I believe, and I think it's Second Home by the Sea, Silver Rainbow. and I think another song on there uses electronic drums, but like. The first Home by the Sea and Mama. I think it's going to get better. Um, I forget Illegal Alien, Just a Job to Do. Um, I forget, but but yeah, there are electronic drums on some of the songs in that album. And also uh, Grace Under Pressure, the 1984. Oh, we got a plane going overhead. Can you, can you hear it? Full of werewolves going to the club. And Grace Under Pressure, the 1984 Rush album has... Um, uh, I think Red Sector A has the um, electronic drums and a few. I think um, I think the Body Electric too has electronic drums. But there are there are a mix of um, electronic and real drums on that album. And all I remember, what I remember about them is when um, 
when Phil Collins described them, and like I think in an interview on one of the box sets they put out right after their reunion tour of 2007, when he was talking about that album, he said, "Yeah, that we just got the brand new, the first ever like electronic drums." And he said it was like playing on formica. You had to really pound the hell out of them to get the noises out of them, and they made it. You know, they made interesting sounds, but um, not uh, not the not the best technology at this time. But this guy's got a full kit of them in the back there. Yeah, taking advantage of the technology. You know, and lycanthropes in the crowd who are probably hundreds of years old wondering, where were the old drums? Why are these new drums, you darn kids? Anyway, we're in club, and I'm just going to go real quick through this. So we have the um, clearly the new wave kind of singer, and he's singing, and you see like all the, the punk guys, they're not really moshing. Um, they're all they're all just kind of close to one another, jumping up and down, and um, yeah, and you see what uh, GBH is on the back, a wall, uh, the Bat Cave, head, uh, all sorts of stuff written on there. I guess it just is called Club, O Club, O Club. Is that it? I don't know. I've forgotten. But here he's doing the ow ow ow. It's mostly. It looks like mostly guys jumping around. Maybe it's a very specific lycanthrope club. And then you see Christopher Lee is there, and he is being put, um, he is getting some new wave glasses put on him, he, and he looks really um, silly. I think I think he knows he looks silly in them, too. And there's a little Budweiser um, ad off to one side. I like I like the, the fact that they put the sunglasses on him. Um, it's weird because you, you haven't seen him arrive at the club, but suddenly, oh, he's there, and they put the glasses on, and it reminds me sort of of, of After Hours, which was around the same time. It's Mohawk Night, and uh, that's kind of what it is, you know, um, Kind of a little making fun of the um, making fun of the old guy, and then there is a moment right here where uh, one guy kisses another guy, but the other guy doesn't seem to like it, which makes me think it might. Well, and then the very next shot in front of a in behind a disco ball, you see a giant just neon sign that just says, it says Slammer. I am thinking this is a very specific sort of lycanthropic uh, club. Oh, and there's the punk guy who flips the uh, singer off. I, like I said, I always, I always like that bat cave and see all the other stuff. And then you see the woman from earlier on, and you see a couple women in there too, moving towards the bar. And Christopher Lee keeping an eye out on her at his own table. He's off to one side. He's got like, looks like everyone else is having beer or something rougher. I think I think I saw he had a drink with like an umbrella in it. Don't quote me on that. And then the minute ends where you see a close-up of the woman at the bar. And I like that you see her moving through. And I'll, I'll end this minute talk here because this is all sort of just setting up this club and this atmosphere. This raucous sort of punk new wave bar. Um, where they're all jumping around drinking um, uh, Budweiser and Orange Fanta. And um, but I like the fact that you see the woman go through the crowd. She she sits at the bar, and as she sits at the bar, she raises a drink to her mouth. So either she 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 must have been at the bar, left the bar, and came back and had her drink with her. But I also like the concept that maybe she brings her own drink. Don't worry about her. She always her first drink. She always brings from home. So she brings it in from the, then some, you know, could you lead me to the bar? I don't want to spill my drink. Yeah, and some big guy leads her to the bar and she sits down. Because watch it. She doesn't like grab a drink off the off the the the, the um, bar. The I was gonna say the count the table. Um, grab a drink off the bar, or um, she 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 literally she has a drink in her hand that she starts to drink. And I will say for all those of you who have been following my minute by minutes, this is a a scene at a bar, um, with a bunch of people in it. And I know what you're thinking here. Night of Horror. Remember that beautiful scene? Opening up Night of Horror with the two guys. Jeez, I don't remember their names now. Sitting at the bar talking for forever. I'd love to do another Night of Horror. And that, and I was, I was going to say I'd love to do Night of Horror. One minute of Night of Horror 2. 
if I could find something new to say about each minute. But um, sorry, I got a little nostalgic there. But so we're at the bar, and the lady's sitting there, and she's having a drink. And Christopher Lee is off in the distance with his cool sunglasses on, looking over at her. And the band is playing their "Ow Ow Ow" song. Um, sounds the, the lyrics are slightly, possibly apocalyptic, or maybe um, it's about a rainstorm. It's a little tough to tell at the time. At this time, it's a little tough to tell at this time. So let me leave it here. And we will hop to Howling New Moon Rising. We're with the priest and the police officer. And the priest has just told the police officer that um, the the person, that, that that bum that was killed who stole the woman's purse uh, was killed by a werewolf. And the priest, you know, the cop kind of does an eye roll and like, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't got out of bed this morning kind of thing. You, you know what that is. L- listen to this. That the victim was killed by a, a werewolf inspector. He never calls me. I wait by the phone, he always leaves me. So I'm here all alone, he never needs me. Give me a drink, Jim. I need one bad. Okay. How's the benefit doing? Good, getting closer. How are you feeling? I'll tell you better after I have my drink. Them kids underage? No, Pappy, you know better than that. You check everyone's ID. Didn't check mine. Shut up, Brock. (laughs) (laughs) What's this? Soda water, Pappy. Damn it, Jim, I wanted a drink. (laughs) Sorry. This might make it all too obvious why I enjoy doing these two two in a row two two movies in tandem rather than rather than one minute by minute at a time it's not to belittle uh the movies although um certainly if i were to do you know seven samurai you know i i don't think i i don't think i'd match it up with uh the magnificent seven you know or i wouldn't do um i wouldn't do something like bridge over the river Kwai and guns of navarone together you know i wouldn't do um annie holland when harry met sally you know, I think they're um, uh, the the reason why I do something like Howling Two and Howling Seven together is because they're ostensibly part of the same series of films, uh, made made a decade apart approximately, and uh, it's 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 fun when you see little moments when um, even though they're made by a completely different group of people, although both made by Australians, correct? Which is odd. Um, well, no, it's not that odd. Sorry, any any Australians uh, listening. I said good day. Um, I'm sorry. The um, I didn't I didn't mean to sound that. But it's it's like I mean like I said the the first one is is you know Joe Dante and John Sayles, you know they, you know it's about as sort of as American exploitation as you can get at that time. And uh, but then the second and third one Philip Philippe Morat who's Australian. And I think I think the fourth one is Australian too. The fifth and sixth ones I'm not sure on. This one's definitely made in America, but made by an Australian gentleman all the way. And uh, so there's, there's uh, I, I find it fun. So anyway, one of the things reasons why I like doing these is is the du- the dual the double ones is when things kind of match up in fun ways. It happened several times like during Blood Lake and Iced. When you saw sort of both of them follow the slasher conventions, but they both did them slightly their own way, as as most slasher films do. But moments when sort of things kind of linked up were, were fun. This has that exact same thing. Look at it. Each minute begins with someone ask, basically asking someone something, and someone else replying with a werewolf, and then it cuts to a club, 
of some variety for the rest of the minute. And it, they both end at bars. And in the first, in Howling 2, you know, we hear the song, we see the song being performed, hear the song, and we see the punks moshing around. But in this one, we get the much more sinister country line dancing in the dark sequence, which we will see more of later. It's a very weird sequence. And then it cuts, obviously cuts back, as you heard, it cuts back to, we, we, see, we meet Pappy and everyone arrives. And we don't see Harriet yet, um, but Pappy arrives at the, um, at the bar. But there's just something I love about the fact that they both start off with more or less like, what? A werewolf. Huh? And then it immediately goes to a club. Um, and as crazy as those punk punks were, leaping all on top of one another and jumping all around and being crazy, listening to their new wave goth, punk, whatever, um, there's something about this. I mean, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I, I want to say it goes on for no more than 10 seconds, and if you blink or you turn away, you might miss it. And it's so weird to see because... It's just people very calmly line dancing, dressed as cowboys, cowgirls. And it just cuts in between, like, um, you know, shots of them from, like, torso up, moving in unison, to shots of their feet moving. And it's all very dark. It's all shot like, um, it's like images from, you, I, I think I mentioned this, did I mention this last, on the last episode, Werewolves on Wheels? You know, like when you see, like, when the, when the guys are passing out outside and you start to see the snippets of the black mass before it goes crazy, um, you know, just see these, 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 these brief images, these brief scary moments. And um, imagine that, but with country line dancing. Hey! Oh, let me tell you my, I can tell you my country line dancing story in here. And then there'll be more country line dancing later, so we can discuss it then. Oh, another plane going overhead filled with... Um, I bet filled with people going to um, Pioneer Town to uh, line dance, line dance in the dark, line dancing in the dark. That was uh, Springsteen's biggest hit, I think. Anyway, sorry about all the noise outside, but I'm still still keeping the windows open. Anyway, uh, my one line dancing story is college, freshman year of college, 91, 92. I think it was 92. Kevin J. Jolly, the J stands for Jolly said to me we needed to meet more women because when both of us had when we both arrived at the start of the our first semester um things get pretty raucous but we were in our early second semester so this was probably early february and um all the ladies we knew ladies but all sort of like the excitement and, and romance and things all that had kind of ended now it would start up again soon uh, for him uh, for me, I would have some some pitfalls here and there um, over for the rest of the semester. Ah, thinking fondly of what what could have been, and but anyways, he suggested one day. He said, well, "You know, a way we can go. You know, a way we can meet chicks." And he didn't say chicks. Um, well, one of the ways we we I I did this during the first semester, which was great. But then because of class scheduling, I couldn't do this in the second semester. Um, which is one of the reasons why things fell off, is whatever night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, I forget, whenever Beverly Hills now 2 and 0 and Milrose Place were on, I there was a guy who was only there for two semesters because he got too heavy into the drinking and the partying and flunked out. But I used to go with him. Not, I didn't particularly like him, but I could handle him for these two hours. We would go to the TV room in our dorm, Holmes Hall, Ithaca College. We'd go to the TV room, 
and I, I remember very clear. I know this is going off topic slightly, but I remember very clear. This is the same kind of thing Kevin Jolly and I were trying to do, but this was more successful. This TV room thing. It was basically, um, I was talking to him about something, and he said, um, "You know something I did last week where I met some really nice uh, gals. What I went and I watched Beverly Hills 902 and Owen Melrose place. You go up to the TV room for those two hours. It's filled with women from the hall." You know, and you just go sit and talk and, and everything. And they said, well, what do you talk about? And he said, well, it's a, you know, it's, it's a soap opera type show. You know, you, you get caught up on it and then you arrive and then, you know, every, everyone talks throughout it. You know, it's like, oh, I can't believe she's doing that. Or I didn't think he'd do this, stuff like that. And if you can get into it, you get them interested and you start talking and things like that. It becomes really easy because you have this shared love in these shows. And I said, I've never seen either of those shows. And he said, they're on tonight, watch them, and then next week join me. And that's what I did. I watched them that night, I took notes, um, I did some, I, I um, made sure I knew characters, names and everything. And then the next Wednesday, um, we showed up and he had been there for like, he'd done, been doing this for like three or four weeks. So when he showed up, they were, uh, all the women were like, hi, Tom. You know, maybe there were one or two other guys. Hey, I was, oh, this is my friend, Dan. He didn't, re he didn't know we did this. He's been watching them in a, in his room. Hey, everyone. I'm, I'm excited to see. And I said something about the show. I'm excited to see if someone does this. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that was the thing for that semester was every, every Wednesday or whenever it was, we would go and catch that. And that's was a great way to meet women. Unfortunately, the scheduling, I had a film class that lasted from like seven to 10. That was on the Wednesday night or whenever it was for my second um, semester. And I could not make it. Uh, which was a heartbreaker. I wanted to try to reschedule it, but it was actually, it was it was a required class that only ran once a week. So there was no way. And I went to the professor and I said, look, I got this thing going with Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place. And he nodded his head and said, yes, I understand. I, I used to have that thing going too until they scheduled this class now. So we're just going to have to suck it up and go to our class. And I was like, yes, sir. Anyway, in the next semester, Kevin J. Jolly said to me, the way we can meet women, yeah, line dancing I said what country line dancing and this was when country line dancing had just become a thing I said uh, I don't know about that and so we went to a country line dancing class which was taught by a woman and which was all women except for myself and Kevin and we were there for about an hour and we learned some stuff we went back one more time and um, the gals were really nice and it was really it was really kind of fun the problem was that I found it all a bit silly. Try as I might, I couldn't, I'm not good with that type of close, precise dancing. I just, I can't, my head doesn't retain it. I mean, I'm sure if you put a gun to my head, I remember, but my head doesn't retain it. And so I just like, you teach me something, I immediately forget it. So, so it became pretty obvious by the end of the second class that one, I thought it was a little silly and two, I just wasn't getting it. And so at the end of the class, I was like, sorry, I got to go. And I, th I think Kevin went to a few more classes. Um, nothing really came of it. But um, but that was my tangle with, with line dancing. It was very complicated. I thought extremely complicated. And watching these people do this in this darkened room, I think you, this is, I, I guess that must have been a thing. Like at the time you call up like central casting. It's like, send me some line dancers. And you send them, now, now granted, um, 
you know, their top halves we see separate from their bottom halves when they're doing the movements with their feet. So their feet could be going crazy while their 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 top halves are in unison. Anyway, I'm sorry, I went away too long, so I don't have much time left to discuss. Pappy shows up, of course, Pappy and Harriet, and he's excited and he's happy. And he sits down at the bar, and Ted's there kind of looking on, smiling. And um, Pappy, uh, t- uh, Jim, damn it, Jim. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, gives him the soda water at the end of the minute, and uh, Peppy just wants a nice drink. And uh, Peppy, uh, yeah, you see these raucous people who I guess are look young. It's a little tough to tell because they're far away at the table. And the woman behind the counter who um, who poo pooed 86th Brock in the previous minute, who actually seems to be possibly the only actress in the or actor slash actress in the room. Um, she uh, she delivers a line about we always check every woman they come in. Uh, now certainly the woman the woman who Ted was interested in the previous minute takes a lot to impress that young lady or whatever. She doesn't seem like much of an actress when when Pappy who, Pappy doesn't seem like an actor but he seems boisterous and he's got he's got charisma baby. And when he starts to talk to how's the benefit going and that woman begins to speak it's like is she awake listen to her is she the living dead what's your her, her like line reading gets better by the end of the line she needs some assistance with the front of that line and uh you hear brock of course yell out again i don't know if you see brock you just hear me yell out but and then it ends with the soda water it's it's nice because pappy um harriet will be showing up soon and i think there are a couple other um sort of characters we will see um, many of whom like i said are people from pioneer town not actors a few of them are actors um the ones that need to carry a little more than in jokes um but you'll see there is obviously an in joke here that peppy was expecting a big drink and he got soda water from jim and uh, whatever the benefit is that they're talking about i don't know but um it's it's funny to sort of see like um yeah, I'd like to know the story on that woman. We'll see more of her later, the, the woman that who Ted takes a fancy to. Because, yeah, when she, like, everyone else here, they're, they're not really actors, apart from, I think, I think the woman who plays Cheryl, the bartender, or the, the other one. But they all have some charm to them. And when they, when, they, when they feel a little weird, it's because hepatitis, pneumonia, smallpox, when they have to deliver bad dialogue that is gorgeous, that's when things feel a little weird. But, um, but yeah, the woman there with her, um, I guess, Australian accent, um, she, uh, she just, that line is not delivered well, the line she has. Um, you heard it, so. But I will just stop there. So, um, so it starts off with werewolf, and then instead of going to a place where something creepy is happening, we actually go to a place where something creepy is happening, strange nighttime uh, line dancing, and we meet Pappy and his soda water. So I will stop here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Howling 2 and 7-2 minute-by-minute podcast. That was Minute 9 episode, episode Minute 8, Episode 8. I know one of these podcasts I did, oh, it was the 70s Friends of Frankenstein. I kept calling it the wrong minute in the last episode. Sorry, everyone. I'll make it up to you. And so that's the end of this, and let me play you a little of this. Oh.